I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. And happy anniversary, everybody. Yeah. The, the show anniversary, yeah. that is. This is our third anniversary episode. The actual day was a little while ago, but it's it's early June, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Congratulations, darling. Three short years ago, we were talking about... Uh, the, the loveliness of Mackinac Island. Yeah. Islands are so nice. I mean, there's it's pleasant. It's scenic. I can't imagine having a bad time on an island. Every island is just so nice. You haven't been to a lot of islands. People love going there. When I'm on an island, I never want to leave. And I dare you to name an island that I would want to leave. Alcatraz? Oh. <laughs> oh. So, is that what you're going to teach us about today, Alcatraz? No. No? No, yes it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just thought it would be funny to say no. <laughs> the segue really, was just too good. Just have you really confused about what I spent yesterday doing. So, yes, uh, we, we are going to talk about Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. The, the island history. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few events that happened... Today? Well, today, if you're listening on the day that this episode comes out, which is June 11th, that is the anniversary of two things. So it is an anniversary episode. In so many ways. All right. We're talking, we got our anniversary of history, honeys. We got our anniversary of talking about islands. Mm -hmm. We got anniversary of stuff within this island. It's just, it's crazy. I don't know what the the, like present is for when you have that many anniversaries at once. Gift card, actually. Gift card. Gift card. Let them figure it out. That makes sense. I like that. Alcatraz Mm -hmm. is an island Mm -hmm. uh, in the San Francisco Bay. Um, It's about like one and a quarter miles from from the San Francisco shore. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about how this island came to be. And of course... Geology, uh, I think, would be involved. Well, we got some geology. We got some, you know, existed for a long time. So before (laughs) it was like discovered by, you know... Spanish and Portuguese explorers. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, of course, the the native populations around the area. Mm-hmm. Um, there are about ten thousand uh, indigenous people living in the coastal area um, along uh, San Francisco Bay and uh, Point Sur. The native population was there for ten thousand to twenty thousand years before any like noted discovery. Yeah, but did they write it down? Not that we know of. So we're going to talk about in 1775 when it got wrote down. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> so in 1775, the island was uh, documented by Juan Manuel de Ayala. Nope, de Ayala. Um, and he was charting uh, the San Francisco Bay. He named it La Isla de los Alcatraces. It, it it translates to the island of the uh, gannets, mm-hmm. um, which is a type of seabird. That's a bird you don't hear about very yeah. often, the gannet. The gannet. But more commonly, it's like the, the island of the pelicans, mm-hmm. um, because the, the Spanish Alcatraz for pelican is like an old version. Like, they use a different word for pelican now, <laughs> but it's like this archaic version Mm-hmm. That um, was borrowed from an Arabic word that apparently me- meant sea eagle. 
Ooh. Um, so I would like to meet the sea eagle. Island of the Pelican Sea Eagle. Translated slightly different, but we all refer to it as the Pelican type thing now. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Over time, it got morphed and it just became Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Spanish built several small buildings on the island. So in 1846, um, the earliest written ownership of Alcatraz was to Julian Workman, co-owner of Rancho Le Puente, uh, a 49,000 acre ranch. Um, And he was given the island by the Mexican governor, Pio Pico, um, who was a close friend. Uh, Doesn't that make it the second written ownership? Because even if it's the first ownership record, it's a record that includes the previous owner. It was the governor's to give. Well, I don't know. From what I can tell, it didn't sound like he, like, he owned it. It was just like it was owned by, like, Mexico. Oh, so it was public land that is now suddenly owned. owned. Yeah, it's like okay. private own, private ownership. Okay. Let's go All with right. that, okay? Later that year, this person named Francis Temple owned it, uh, and it was bought for $5,000 in the name of the U.S. government mm-hmm. um, by military governor of California, John C. Fremont. Um, he thought, like, man, I'm going to be compensated and given so much money mm-hmm. because I, like, acquired this. He, the U.S. government's going to love it. And they're like, nah, dude, we're not paying you, but thanks. <laughs> like He thought he was on the, the expense account. Yeah. And apparently not. They're like, well, we'll take it from you. <laughs> but we're not giving you anything for it. And for, for years, he and his family uh, attempted to sue the U.S. government, uh, well into the 1890s, but they didn't get a single cent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and they kind of didn't care because, like, by then they were like, "Well, we like, you know, own California, so <laughs> why are we going to pay you anything?" And so, in 1850, uh, President Fillmore ordered the island to be set aside as a U.S. military like reservation, um, since they did get California from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 1853, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers began to build up and fortify the island um, under the direction of a dude named Zealous B. Tower, which is the most amazing name. Yeah, stop naming your kids Grayson, everybody. Name them Zealous. Zealous. We need more adjective babies. <laughs> This is this is Grayson and and Ryan and Henry and Zealous. Yeah, uh, like I want to see you know like people get like um, baby items like embroidered with their child's name or like their backpack. Mm-hmm. Just want to see a little two year old walking down the street with their backpack that says Zealous. It's a good it's, name. It's good. So they worked on uh, building up the island um, for about eight years. Um, and then when it was done, about 200 soldiers were placed there. Uh, as early as 1859, Alcatraz was used to house uh, soldiers who were guilty of a variety of crimes. And they were like, yep, it's an island. We got some strong and cold currents. Like, no one's going to escape this. Mm-hmm. Which became a very long theme of people's opinions on Alcatraz. It, it is the one thing it is most known for. Yes. And I'm sure the people who do tours these days also count on that. They can be as boring as they want. You can't get away without not a, gonna, you had a boat. Yep. Uh, so in 1861, uh, the American Civil War broke out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, okay, we got to like 
fortify the island even more, let's place 85 to 100 cannons around the island. Just um, in case the California coast becomes a major theater of the war. I, of I the guess. American Civil War. In case those people from the south come all the way over here. The, the most notable battlefields of the war, Virginia, Pennsylvania, <laughs> San Francisco. <laughs> they didn't have enough men on the island to, like, use all of them. <laughs> they would have only been able to use a fraction of them. So it's like, you're just showing off. <laughs> be like, look at my big guns. Like, that's it. There are a lot of people in California today that walk around saying, look at my big guns. I guess they were the first ones. Uh, so then Alcatraz uh, was used as a prison for Confederate sympathizers um, and privateers on the West Coast. Uh, and then they started housing private citizens who were accused of treason when uh, habeas corpus was suspended uh, in the U.S. during that time. Now this makes more sense. Mm -hmm. because it's so far away from anywhere you could do damage yes yeah yes and i don't really know if they were like shipping people out there mm -hmm. it might have just been the locals you think there were a lot of californian treasonous folks during the war maybe i maybe. don't know okay i don't know i mean people moved out west to make a fortune yes i'm sure a lot of them probably sided with other sides that are not so great <laughs> you can say the confederacy it's okay <laughs> but like i'm sure it was pretty split the opinion <laughs> of the time then uh they built a, a brick jailhouse for the first time uh before that like people were just like thrown in like the basement of other buildings <laughs> mm -hmm. okay. um, or like some cells but they didn't really have like a jailhouse so in 1868, it was officially designated a long-term detention facility uh, for military prisoners, um, and they continued to be there for decades and decades um, and used in that way. I like that those first uh, seven years were unofficial. Oh, yeah. It wasn't <laughs> like, she's like, well, well, we'll do this with it. It's fine. It wasn't, this is what we're Where doing. Where are we going to put them? Well... They can go back to my place, or there's this <laughs> island out on the coast. Yeah, island makes sense. That yeah. sounds nice. Uh, so in 1898, the Spanish-American War um, increased the prison population from 26 people to 450. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then after the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco... Um, which so we talked about on the show. Which we talked about it. Listen to that episode. Uh, civilian prisoners were transferred to the island. Because it didn't fall down, I guess? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, even if, like, it did, good luck getting off the island. There is that, I suppose. Yeah. So in um, 1907, uh, it was officially designated as the Western U.S. Military Prison. And within two years, they began construction on a concrete main cell block, which remains the island's dominant feature. Uh, mm -hmm. It was finished in 1912. Congratulations. Yeah. Jail. Now now you can just put people there and, and recategorize them as, as unpersons, essentially. Yep. Yeah. So to to build this, the uh, what they called the Citadel, which was like a three-story barrack, um, was demolished to the first floor, 
which was actually like the basement. It was below ground. Uh huh. Um, and the first floor became the basement of the new building, which is why um, it was often referred to as like the dungeons. Ooh, spooky, spooky. Yeah. Probably is very spooky, actually. It probably. Yeah. I mean, we've we've seen like Eastern State Penitentiary. That's <laughs> freaky. Sure, Alcatraz was interesting, though there's some amazing pictures out there that, yeah. like, apparently for a while, well, I don't, maybe even still, I don't know, it was, like, pastel pink and mint green inside? Sure, sure. Bizarre. It, it was another time. <laughs> the paint was cheap. The paint was cheap. That's probably actually it. This was the cheap cheap paint <laughs> this is why we painted this wall mustard yellow mm-hmm. and this one's just black everything must go yeah on the walls of the prison that's yeah. where it must go yes. yeah so in 1933 uh the u.s disciplinary barracks as it was now known as um was deactivated and transferred to the bureau of prisons and it became a federal prison uh the following year and the plan was for it to hold uh, prisoners who were known for continuously causing trouble in other federal prisons. The troublemakers. Yes. The, um, the problem cases. Like, prisoners were never just really sent straight to Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. They were always sent somewhere else first. Never anybody's like, first stop. Yeah. And I was like, mm, no, you're going there. Um, so on August 11th, uh, the first group of 137 prisoners arrived from other U.S. penitentiaries, uh, mostly from Kansas. Most were convicted of, like, bank robbery or murders. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially there was 155 staff. And within a year, they, the staff themselves had made up 52 families that lived on Alcatraz. Mm -hmm. Um, including 126 women and children, which is the most bizarre childhood upbringing I can think of. (laughs) And yeah, so they they lived there, they worked there, they had to pay rent. Mm -hmm. Like the guards had to pay $10 a month to rent an apartment or like 20 to 45 bucks to rent a house. And I'm like, did they have an option to like commute in every day? Well, yeah, but you had to provide (laughs) your own rowboat. Your own rowboat. No, oh. were, were any of these 126 children particularly zealous, would you say? <laughs> Not that I know of. Okay. But I believe there is a documentary that is made on the, the children of Alcatraz. <laughs> and I believe I remember hearing that they have like a meetup every so often to like, reu- like a high school reunion, but for the children <laughs> of Alcatraz. That's a reunion I'd go to. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you weren't a part of it, you'd be like, yeah, I'll be there. I mean, if I was, I would. Oh, that, yeah. That, that's something that's uh, worth reminiscing. Remember how weird our life was? Yeah. Bizarre. Um, so for the prisoners on Alcatraz, um, cells were small, um, typically nine foot by five by seven. Mm-hmm. Um, they modernized parts of the building when it was transferred over. Um, they put up toolproof steel. There was electromagnetic metal detectors that were used at all entrances to the dining halls and, and work areas. Remote-controlled tear gas canisters were placed throughout the areas. Mm-hmm. And there was a very strict code of silence. Oh. Um, prisoners were also segregated by race, Due to racial abuse being prevalent, 
among the prisoners. Mm-hmm. And then corridors were named actually after U.S. streets. Um, <laughs> so there was the there was Broadway and there was Machine Avenue, <laughs> which is bizarre. Yeah. Um. So uh, there were three blocks to the prison. Uh, there was a block which was never modernized. Um, it was still like lock and key from when it was a military prison. Mm-hmm. Um, no in- inmates were held there permanently, but it was used for like holding someone um, for a hearing or before transfer. Okay. Uh, and then later it was used for storage. They had a barbershop, a library. It's probably the most popular block on the tour. Yes. Because it's got that classic look. <laughs> Block B is where most people were assigned. And then there was um, the D block, because we're just going to skip C, I guess. It's a mystery. Ooh, <laughs> ghost block. Unless, like, it exists and no one writes about it because it's that boring. I don't know. See, it's another anti escape measure. They're going to be looking for C block, and that's when you catch them. Um, D block was known as the the punishment block. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've heard anything about Alcatraz, you've probably heard that it was not a great place to be. Um, it was very harsh, very cruel, inhumane treatment. Mm-hmm. The D block was where all that happened, um, where prisoners were put into solitary. Um, the end of the block of cells was known as the hole. Um, and those cells were known for having no light and for being colder than the rest of the the prison. And it was often where inmates were taken to be beaten or tortured or starved um, as punishment for whatever they did. Mm-hmm. This was all known back then. You know, prisoners didn't want to be like sent to Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in 1939, uh, the new uh, U.S. Attorney General Frank Murphy spoke out about the whole uh, institution, how it was like conductive to building up more sinister ambitions among the prisoners because you treated them bad. They're going to like, you're not rehabilitating them. Right. You're just making them want revenge. It's dehumanizing. Yes. Um, So during its uh, only 29 years of use as a federal (laughs) prison, which kind of surprised me because I was like, you hear about it so much. And it has a longer history. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not as long as you think because it's California. <laughs> so, like, they weren't building stuff that long ago. I, I suppose not. They were only scoping out the coast in 1775. Yeah. The, the Spanish explorers. But then it was a military for prison for so long. You kind of don't think about it's like it's federal prison status being so, like, short. Right, right. Um. Uh, But it did hold some of the most uh, notorious criminals of the time, um, including Al Capone, our good buddy. Who Uh, we've spoken about on the show, actually, in a different prison. Yes. George Machine Gun Kelly, Mickey Cohen, a bunch of other people. During its time as a federal prison, um, about 1,576 inmates stayed there. Mm -hmm. Never at once. Um, It was actually never at capacity. Uh-huh. The entire time it operated. Well, that's how you know it it closed. I was going to talk about this later. It, it closed but... long before the war on drugs. Yes. <laughs> also, it was really expensive to operate. Um, so like where the average cost spent for other prison, federal prisons, was like $3 a day per prisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alcatraz was $10 a day. Uh-huh. Yes. 
the reasons it would end up closing, part of it would be because of the cost. Um, and then part of it's also you just built some buildings on top of an island surrounded by salt water. None of that goes great. Like, things don't hold up very long. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of that increased cost is probably just maintenance. Yes. Yeah. Part of why it eventually closed was the fact that it was going to need, like, a billion dollars of of work coming soon. And they were like, no. <laughs> no. We're not doing that. Um, so in the 29 years, um, it's often claimed that there were no successful attempts at escape, which we're going to explore that statement a bit. <laughs> Um, it, it's contested, you you say? You suggest? Yep. Okay. Uh, so 26 prisoners made 14 escapes. Um, two men trying twice. 23 were caught alive. Uh, six were shot and killed. Two drowned. And five are listen, listed as missing and presumed drowned. Presumed. If, if you never find a body, you can't be sure. Uh, so the first attempt... Uh, was in April 1936 um, by Joseph Bowers, who was serving a 25-year sentence for postal mail robbery, where he got a grand total of $16.38. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, but he had a longer list of things he had done. He, he had priors. He had priors. Okay. Um, so his escape is up for debate. Some people say he was feeding seagulls by the fence um, and stacked some barrels and climbed to try to retrieve some of the food that had fallen uh, and was standing at the fence for several minutes um, feeding the birds when then the tower guards saw him and fired um, and he fell 50 feet to his death. Uh, Others say that he made a run for the fence and tried to escape and then some also say that it wasn't actually escape but a suicide attempt because he had tried several times already. But in any case, he he was shot dead. He died, Okay. So that's the first attempt that is up for debate on whether it was an attempt or not. Okay. Because he liked to feed birds. Yep. Or because he tried to escape, or because he wanted to be shot. Yes. Or because he just liked feeding birds. He might have just been feeding some birds. He was apparently known for feeding the birds. Tuppence a bag. Yes. Yeah. So in, in December 1937... Uh, the second attempt was by Theodore Cole and Ralph Rowe. Um, they were convicted bank robbers who had both uh, had independent escape attempts at their previous prisons and then came to Alcatraz. So they were like the dream team of, of prison break. Like, you escaped? I tried to escape too. What, why don't we try together? Mm-hmm. Team the, up. Escape the, team up. The prison escapees shared universe. Yeah. Big tentpole film. So they had been... Uh, gradually filing through the iron bars in the prison's mat shop where they worked. Um, and that afternoon, um, between head counts, they escaped through the window mm-hmm. um, and were concealed by a really dense fog that had swept into the area. They forced a gate locked and then dropped uh, 20 feet to the beach. And that's where their trail disappeared. Um, a multi-day search happened. Parts of the island was like flooded with tear gas um, they were looked everywhere. It's believed that they drowned after their escape, um, mm-hmm. but no bodies were ever fi- found. Mile and a quarter in the fog to the nearest shore, never mind any of the other directions they might have gone yes. or been swept by current. Yes. Okay. And you know, rumors and tips came in over the years that they were seen. Maybe they moved to South America. Maybe this, maybe that. Um, this is one, though, where even though bodies weren't found, they were like, 
it's very unlikely that they could have swam anywhere or a boat could have picked them up. Or even if they were in a boat, they could get anywhere in the fog that existed that day. Okay. Pretty, We're pretty all on the same page that they died. <laughs> but in May 1938, uh, three men attacked and killed a guard and tried to escape via the roof. Um, but two were shot and one gave up. Where were they going to go from the roof? Do they have a friend with a helicopter? I think the plan was to escape through the roof and then, like, climb down and, like, run. Okay. But they didn't get that far. Okay. In January 1939, um, five men from D-Block escaped the cell house. And D-Block's supposed to be, like, the most secure of secure. Um, And they reached the shore of the island. Um, They were spotted as they were putting their makeshift raft together. Mm. I think by this point, uh, people on Alcatraz have learned a good lesson. It's not inescapable like they thought. Never call something not capable of doing something because it will be capable. The Titanic, Alcatraz. And that's why you should follow your dreams. (laughs) Don't listen to the haters. That's right. You escape from prison, dang it. Great, now our show is not allowed to be listened to in prison. I just... As if it was before. So I was at my, like, Zumba class on Saturday in the park. Mm-hmm. They do, like, free workouts in the park on Saturday. And you can do Zumba. And you can do Zumba. Follow your dreams. Well, so this this instructor kept talking about the haters. <laughs> and what do you do with the haters? You squat on them. Uh-huh. You gotta do your squats. And it's like, well, you know what? Just squat on the haters. And for an extra 50 (laughs) bucks, you can let them film it. Well, that's the thing she kept doing. She kept making people, like, chant it back to her. And I'm like, (laughs) but I'm just imagining this means a completely different thing. What is is Zumba these days? Sweaty. (laughs) So, um, in May 1941, um, four men... Um, Joe Kretzer, Sam Sockley, Arnold Kyle, and Lloyd Barkdahl uh, jumped the guards on duty and tried to saw through the bars of the the workroom they were in. Mm-hmm. Um, but they realized the tools they had weren't like working. Ah, uh, isn't that always the way? So they abandoned what they were doing and just straight up surrendered. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, mm-hmm. "Nope, not going to work. Never mind. Sorry." Well, if it's between turning yourself in and getting shot in the back from someone in the tower. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kretzer and uh, Sockley would try to escape again, though, uh, during what is known as the Battle of Alcatraz. Oh. um, Which we are going to uh, jump to right now. Um, This happened about five years in the future. In May, again, they have a theme. Six prisoners would uh, try to escape, including the two of them. Mm-hmm. And they like tried to take control of the cell house by overpowering uh, the officers on duty and trying to get into the weapons room uh, and get the keys to the wreck yard to escape. They wanted to escape by boat from the dock, but there was all this huge mess where like they couldn't find the keys and then it was the wrong keys. And then they're like, you know what? We're just going to battle this out. Mm-hmm. Not going to give up this time. The two officers uh, who were held hostage were killed along with three of the six inmates. What happened was three of the inmates ended up like killing the two hostages and the other three dudes were like, nope, 
going back to our cells. This is bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm out. And the other three like kept trying to battle it out. Follow your dreams. <laughs> Follow your dreams. And so then uh, we have John Bayless who tried to swim to shore in September of 1941, but was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold. It's cold. I'm it's... tired. This is not a great idea. Uh, in April 1943, uh, James Borman, Harold Brest, and Floyd Garland Hamilton and Fred John Hunter, man, they love long names, um, attempted to escape and they cut the bars in the mat shop again. There's a theme. They also had been assembling four cans that contained army uniforms um, uh-huh. as disguises and to serve as flotation devices. So uh, they overpowered two guards and bound them and then went through the window, but only took two of the four cans. Hmm. Um, One of the guards got loose and blew his whistle. Um, So they opened up, you know, gunfire on them. Uh, Borman was hit um, in the water and he was like floating unconscious. Well, like Harold Brest like supported him um, until the prison launch picked him up. And then uh, Borman's body actually sank. Oh, no. Um, Hunter gave up swimming and um, hid out in a nearby cave, but was discovered two hours later. And then Hamilton, they thought he was dead, but he was actually hiding in that same cave and wasn't found until later when he, two days after he climbed back into the work room through mm-hmm. the window they escaped through because they hadn't fixed it yet and like hid under some stuff and then they found him you gotta you gotta resupply <laughs> really it's it's a logistical issue more than anything yeah yeah i'm like i mean i know you gotta resupply but you would have been better off in that cave they already checked there <laughs> it They're not seems gonna look like again. a good cave yeah like if they found the one dude but they didn't find you well there mm-hmm. that was a good hiding spot it's a good cave yeah so August 7th, uh, 1943, uh, Huron Ted Walters attempted escape, um, but like nothing went right. Um, he planned to cut through a fence with wire cutters, but the cutters didn't work. So he climbed the fence, which took too long. Um, and then he fell off the fence onto the rocks and hurt his back. Which is where they found him. And then he had to, like, go to the infirmary for several days. Unlucky Ted. Yeah. It's like nothing went right for him. In July 1945, uh, John Giles got his hands on a U.S. Army uh, uniform and boarded a ferry. Like, he got out and then boarded a ferry between the island and one of the other islands that had government facilities on it in the bay Mm -hmm. and um basically was almost there like almost free and clear (laughs) when then they did a head count and realized he was gone to just radio to the ferry turn right back around yeah oh so close that's when you swim for it (laughs) right that's when you jump off the boat you're like you're almost there July 1956, uh, Floyd Wilson tried to escape by creating a raft out of driftwood and gave up. It's all about having the right tools. Uh, And September 1958, Aaron Burgett and Clyde Johnson tried to swim off the island. Uh, Johnson was caught and Burgett's body washed up two weeks later. Not a lot of successes here. It's mostly like giving up, though. I feel like a lot of it's just like, no, 
you can say they gave up, but it's more like they decided to not die that day. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, I just, I think um, what's interesting is they always like to throw around the no successful attempts at, you know, no one got mm-hmm. off the island. No one did. Well, actually, a lot of people did. They just then were like, never mind. Yeah. I want to live. I'm good. I'll come back. This isn't going as planned. It sounds like plenty of people made it out of the prison. Yes. Nobody made it onto the mainland. Confirmed, at least. There, there's. We mentioned a few people that might have made it to South America. Well, we're going to take a break. Okay. And we're going to come back and talk about that a bit. Okay. Everybody, I've been learning about this inescapable prison. 100% success rate. Undefeated. No. No? No. <laughs> well. Well, prove it then. Debates. Huh? How would you get out of Alcatraz then? Hmm? Nowadays, I just take the ferry home. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> I'm going to bed and I'm going to start the day over. We are going uh, to to continue on uh, this this story sharing of people who tried to escape, mm-hmm. and this one is one of our anniversary stories. <laughs> yeah, on June eleventh, uh, nineteen sixty-two, uh, Frank Morris, John, and Clarence Aglin uh, carried out the most intricate escape ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so over six months they prepared. Um, they widened the ventilation ducts, um, uh, beneath their sinks in their cells, which led to an unguarded utility corridor. Mm-hmm. They chiseled away and like the concrete was pretty moisture damaged. So that helped a bit. And they used like metal spoons and forks that was like soldered with a dime <laughs> um, and they had an electric drill they made from a stolen vacuum cleaner motor. Mm-hmm. And they were able to, like, do all this unnoticed um, because around shortly before this um, time, some of the prison rules regarding basically talking and noise and, like, privileges loosened up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and prisoners were able to have music like instruments. Ah. And so there was like a, a scheduled like music hour. The Alcatraz Symphony. Yeah. So they would work on it well, it was that music hour and there'd be like lots of accordions and stuff being played throughout <laughs> the jail. And they put up false walls so no one would see their work and in their dark cells it was pretty hidden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so then the co- once they got through that, the corridor had um, an air vent that led up to a vacant top level above the cell blocks, um, which is where they set up a workshop. So they would like escape through their cells and like go up there mm-hmm. every day if they could. And they made false screws out of like soap <laughs> so they could easily remove the vent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They also um, gathered, like, 50 rubber raincoats from other inmates to make a raft. And they made paper mache heads uh, to leave in their cell bunks when they were 
working and for their escape. And they were really freaking realistic. Yeah. I found some pictures. We will link them. Um, they used human hair from the barber shop mm-hmm. um, to, like, create a full set of hair, like, on all the, the three mannequin heads. Don't you miss the days when prisons used to teach valuable skills? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, their, their plan was put to use, and on June 11th, they escaped through the roof. The escape did not go discovered until the 12th, um, because of the dummy heads and their padded beds. The paper mache work was just that good. <laughs> yes, it really was. It's kind of insane. So, um, they, they were gone. Um, and... <laughs> the end. <laughs> well... Various um, things were found, um, such as reports of a paddle being found um, a couple days later, um, a wallet wrapped in plastic with the names of um, the Anglin's friends and family. Later, there was some shreds of material that was believed to maybe be the raincoats. Um, and the FBI, though, said that they never found a raft or any bodies. Oh. So the FBI was aided um, in finding out what was had happened um, by Alan West, who was actually a part of the group. It was not a trio. It was a quad, quadruple, quad, what do we want to call that? Four people. It's four I'd people. I'd call it four people. It's four people. Or his hole his, um, mm-hmm. and fake wall kept like sliding. So he had to use some like concrete to like keep it from sliding down too much. Mm-hmm. And... It ended up um, setting, so he got delayed in trying to, like, chip it free, and then he had to kind of chip his hole open bigger more because it had closed in a bit due to this concrete. Mm-hmm. He ended up getting left behind. He did not make it out in time. So he he was still at the prison, and they were like, okay, tell us information. The FBI um, led an investigation from 1962 to 1979, when they closed it and it was just said, yep, they drowned. Uh-huh. Um, was there any new evidence in 1979 to lead to that conclusion? No, it was just like, they're, All right. they're drowned. This is what we assume. Now that's what giving up sounds well, like. And that's no what, one was going to shoot the FBI agents. Well, and that's what they always said. Like, well, no, they probably just drowned. They just drowned. That's got to be what happened. Now, the case was transferred to the U.S. Uh, Marshals is still open to this day and the men are still on the wanted list yeah but those last known photos are not gonna be accurate anymore (laughs) well and here um here's where there's a lot of uh things that suggest that maybe they made it so a day after the escape a man claiming to be john anglin uh, called a lawyer in san francisco to arrange a meeting with the u.s marshals um, but the lawyer refused to take a call and hung up on him. Mm-hmm. The FBI dismissed this as a prank. Didn't There's nothing to go with it. Was the news made public of this escape the day it was discovered? I don't know about that. Hmm. Okay, because that's a weird prank. Um, family members of the Anglin brothers would state that they would receive many unsigned postcards and messages over the years, including Christmas cards. That sounds more like a prank to me, actually. That's Probably. A, yeah. Now, some of the siblings uh, did talk about when their parents died. Um, there were some unknown people that came who who came and stayed for a little while and then left. Mm-hmm. Um, again, could be pranks. 
Could be people posing. Could be people just crashing for that awesome uh, funeral luncheon. Yeah, ham. could be that. Scallop potatoes of the dead. Yeah. So uh, Robert Anglin, on his deathbed in 2010, uh, said that the family was in contact with the brothers from 1962 to 1987. Um, and that they fled to Brazil, but they have not heard from them since. Mm-hmm. Now, who knows if that is true, or if that's <laughs> just an old man on his deathbed saying something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when the case was transferred uh, from the FBI to the U.S. Marshals, the files apparently ended up being examined on a 2011 documentary uh, by National Geographic, um, which uncovered some of the official records um, and things such as, you know, the FBI said that the raft um, raft was never found. Um, there were no car thefts in the area that day. There's nothing that shows that they ever made it anywhere. But a raft was discovered on Angel Island, um, which is the adjacent island, mm-hmm. on June 12th, 1962. And a car had been reported stolen the day after the escape. Hmm. Which very much hints at the fact that the FBI knew that they survived, but wanted to cover up and save the reputation of Alcatraz being escape-proof. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, it's National Geographic for a TV show. Who knows? But there's some things there. I guess the the big question is whether that raft that was found was made of raincoats or not. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of an important detail. So in 2012, uh, two of the Anglin sisters uh, made public their belief that another of their 11 siblings, Alfred. Whoa. (laughs) Yep. That's the first time you shared that detail. (laughs) My goodness. Um, So Alfred uh, was also in jail in Alabama, um, and he tried to escape and was electrocuted during the escape process and died in 1964. Um, they came forward stating that they didn't think uh, he was actually electrocuted. Um, they thought that he was uh, killed by the guards since he wouldn't help with the investigation. Mm-hmm. The body did get exhumed um, and examined by a coroner who was like, well, it doesn't show that there was any trauma, but it's been, you know, 40, 50 years. Yeah. I don't know how much it's going to see. At that point. Depends on the coroner, I guess. Yeah. Then uh, in 2015, uh, History Channel showed an alleged photograph of the brothers. Uh, that was supposed to be 13 years after their disappearance. Was it taken in Brazil? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> Just last year in 2018, um, a letter was sent allegedly by one of the brothers to the San Francisco Police Department. Um, well, actually, last year it came out. It was sent in 2013. Okay. Um, it, it said, my name is John Anglin. I escaped from Alcatraz in June 1962 with my brother Clarence and Frank Morris. I am 83 years old and in bad shape. I have cancer. Yes, we made it, but barely. Um, the letter also stated that the other two had died um, and that if... They announced on TV and promised he would go to jail only for a year and get medical attention. He would say where he was. The letter was examined for fingerprints and DNA and handwriting, but it was inconclusive. So who knows? (laughs) All of these individual things sound fake and meaningless. Oh, yes. 
Oh, yes. But all of them together <laughs> suggest something. Right? Which is why people can't be trusted to make judgments of innocence or guilt based on evidence. Right? <laughs> I mean, I think, like, all there's so much of it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's got to be a prank, and that's prank. Do you but, know how but, many 83-year-old <laughs> cancer patients would love, love some to medical have attention? Some, and are willing to lie about their name for it? Right? I think the only thing is, like, how the these records of, like, well raft stolen car so there were some sightings of a car by that description mm-hmm. with, like throughout the coastal area within the following 24 hours but that could just be any car thief it could be it could be so how distinct looking were, were these three men right so that 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 is the one that is like well you thought that other dude was dead and he was in an a cave. <laughs> so, I mean, you never know. You never know, I guess. I guess you'll never know. I'm here to bring you the history and the... And sometimes eh! it doesn't really exist. Sometimes <laughs> there's no facts. It's like, eh, this is what people say. Or at least no conclusions. This is why I can get away with my, my ghost stories. <laughs> um, and so for our last escape attempt... Um, December 1962, uh, John Paul Scott and Daryl Lee Parker uh, were the last uh, two to attempt escape. They um, used a makeshift saw to cut through the bars and jumped into the water. How soft are these bars? Anything can get through these bars. Not great. Uh, And Parker was found um, 85 uh, yards from the island on a rock formation. Uh, and Scout was uh, had reached Fort Point and was beneath the Golden Gate Bridge when he was found uh, suffering from hypothermia and exhaustion. Mm-hmm. So again, they escaped the island. They definitely did. <laughs> they, they didn't get, go anywhere of interest, I guess. Yeah. But they did escape the island. Yeah. I it, It's really all where you draw the borders of the prison. Yeah. It seems really easy to get out of the fence. That's that everybody yeah. nailed that. I mean, even the guy who just wanted to to uh, uh, feed birds did it on the other side of the fence. Yeah. On March twenty first, nineteen sixty three, the attorney general um, ordered the closing of Alcatraz. Most of the inmates were transferred to the newly opened U.S. Penitentiary in Marin, Illinois, mm-hmm. um, which is like way down south. Um, so as, as far as Illinois goes. As far as Illinois goes. <laughs> and after uh, its closure, uh, Alcatraz was the site of three uh, protests by Native Americans. Uh-huh. A bit of, of history about why there were these protests going on, uh-huh. other than just straight up bad treatment of Native Americans for hundreds of years. Right, right. Um, Aside from the obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Around uh, World War II, the U.S. government unveiled a new policy that would um, break up Native American reservations. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1953, President Eisenhower signed the Indian Termination and Relocation Policy. Um, Tribes were to vote on whether or not to terminate their relationship with the federal government. Um, And if they did, they were to divide up tribal communal land, individual families, and be subject to um, state and federal tax. Now, the Bureau of Indian Affairs promised um, federal investment into these areas Mm -hmm. um, if they 
were to do this. Right. You know. Were those promises kept, dear? Oh, no. Okay. All right. Just checking. No. Um, of the 109 tribes that agreed, very few saw anything come of it. For for thousands of Native Americans who were involved with this, it usually ended up in them having to sell their newly acquired private property and move to cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what had been, like, going on and been dealt with um, shortly before this protest started. Um, so on May 8th, 1964, a small group of Sioux demonstrated on the island for four hours. They publicly offered the federal government uh, the same amount of money for the land that they were offered in past, like, treaties of land acquisition, which was, like, 47 cents per acre. Sure, seems fair. Um, I mean, the, the government's not using it anymore. And uh, stated that the government would be allowed to continue the use of the Coast Guard lighthouse, um, and they were threatened with being charged with a felony. So their protest did not last very long. The United Council of the Bay Area Indian Community initially considered a proposal to use Alcatraz under the conditions of uh, the Treaty of Fort Laramie. This treaty was all retired, abandoned, or out-of-use federal land would be returned to the Native people who once occupied it. Hmm. And the use the island was closed. It was abandoned. It right. fell into this category. Um, and their hope was to use the island as a cultural center, um, an education facility. In 1969, um, the San Francisco Indian Center was lost due to fire. Um, oh. And it was a center that served about 30,000 people. Okay. So there's um, a need. There is a need. Um, and so with that loss and then the concern over well, what's going to happen to this island, are they just going to develop it into something ridiculous? Alcatraz condos, yeah. baby. Um, they, it led to some more immediate action. Mm -hmm. So on November 9th, uh, 1969, Adam uh, Fortunate Eagle planned a symbolic occupation. Um, and he was joined by um, university student leaders Mohawk Richard Oaks and Shoshone Banak Lanada Means, um, and a large group of student activists. Um, now, five boats were supposed to take 75 people to the island, but none of those boats showed. Uh huh. Now, they were able to convince a different boat to take some of them, and when they got close to the island, five of them jumped overboard and swam to shore. Um, and claim the island by right of discovery. I don't know if that's going to hold up. Well, remember my little thing about how, like, Native American people lived in the area? Mm -hmm, mm hmm So, like, they're just bringing up the right of discovery that they had many years ago. I understand the <laughs> symbolism, but I don't think a United States federal court will see it that way. Yeah. Because it serves the, the interests of the United States government, not not Native American peoples. So those five were removed by the Coast Guard, but later that day, a larger group arrived, and they stayed overnight. Mm -hmm. Now, on November 20th, 1969, 89 Native Americans set out to occupy Alcatraz and were partially prevented from landing by the Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. um, 14 people were able to get through and begin the occupation, and more followed. At the, the height of this, um, 400 people would be there. Oh, wow. Um, this occupation lasted for 19 months. Supplies being brought from the mainland, um, having to avoid the Coast Guard blockage. 
So really, if you want to avoid a blockade, yeah. the experts are Native American activists operating in and around Northern California. Yeah. That's who you need to talk to. So they uh, wrote a, a, a proclamation of the Indians and all tribes. I have, I don't know, should we read it? Should sure. we not read it? Should we just let people know it's in the well, link? Let's read it. Okay, so I, ha- I have um, the the words here from the proclamation they wrote. Would you like to read it, darling? Sure. The proclamation of the Indians of all tribes who occupied Alcatraz from November 1969 to June 1971. To the great white father and all his people. We, the Native Americans, reclaim the land known as Alcatraz Island in the name of all American Indians by right of discovery. We wish to be fair and honorable in our dealings with the Caucasian inhabitants of this land, and hereby offer the following treaty. We will purchase said Alcatraz Island for $24 in glass beads and red cloth, a precedent set by the white man's purchase of a similar island about 300 years ago. We know that $24 in trade goods for these 16 acres is more than was paid when Manhattan Island was sold, but we know that land values have risen over the years. Our offer of $1.24 per acre is greater than the $0.47 per acre the white men are now paying the California Indians for their land. We will give to the inhabitants of this land a portion of that land for their own to be held in trust by the American Indian government for as long as the sun shall rise and the rivers go down to the sea, to be administered by the Bureau of Caucasian Affairs. We will further guide the inhabitants in the proper way of living. We offer them our religion, our education, our lifeways, in order to help them achieve our level of civilization, and thus raise them and all their white brothers up from their savage and unhappy state. We offer this treaty in good faith, and wish to be fair and honorable in our dealings with all white men. We feel that this so-called Alcatraz Island is more than suitable as an Indian reservation, as determined by the white man's own standards. By this we mean that this place resembles most Indian reservations in that, one, it is isolated from modern facilities and without adequate means of transportation. Two, it has no fresh running water. Three, the sanitation facilities are inadequate. Four, there are no oil or mineral rights. 5. There is no industry, and so unemployment is very great. 6. There are no health care facilities. 7. The soil is rocky and non-productive, and the land does not support game. 8. There are no educational facilities. 9. The population has always been held as prisoners and kept dependent on others. Further, it would be fitting and symbolic that ships from all over the world entering the Golden Gate would first see Indian land and thus be reminded of the true history of this nation. This tiny island would be a symbol of the great lands once ruled by free and noble Indians. Incredible passive aggression. Isn't that amazing? I love it. Yes. I adore that that statement. Yes. It's so good. Yes, it is. Uh, so once um, they were established on the island, uh, an elected council was put into place um, and everyone you know, had a job and was involved. Uh, the federal government eventually agreed to negotiations, but they weren't really negotiations. They were just like, no, we're not going to give you anything. Leave. 
the the one point they they wanted to to negotiate for was you leave and there was no no backing down on no, that point no, no no compromise on the one single demand nope so uh in the early 1970s struggles started to happen um with the occupation um initial occupiers um started some had to leave mm-hmm. um and others came in and some of those uh were from the San Francisco hippie and drug culture um, which wasn't exactly, you know, who they wanted there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the hippie culture loves to appropriate Native American imagery. Yeah. I don't know if they were necessarily down with the, the, the same sort of struggle or, or anti-colonial movement. Yeah. So much as really liking dream catchers. Yeah, and so they ended up, like, creating a, a rule that, like, non-natives could not stay overnight and... Mm-hmm. There, there was a bit of an issue with that. And then there was issues of uh, leadership and some uh, competing of power amongst yeah. um, the leaders there as well. You, you shouldn't be able to colonize an anti-colonial movement. What are you doing, well, hippies? Go away. Well, issues of leadership amongst um, the Native American organizers. Okay. Too. Okay. Um, uh, Richard Oakes, who was one of the initial people to be involved, um, his... Uh, stepdaughter actually died on the island. She oh, had an accident, no. um, and he ended up leaving. And then it there were kind of some other people who were involved with leading, and um, one of them plans kind of didn't match up. Uh-huh. And there was a little uh-huh. bit of like accusations of like, well, maybe you're trying to take advantage to get a film <laughs> career uh, or something, or this yeah. or that, and um. And we all know there were no film careers for Native American men in 1970. Iron Eyes Cody was doing it all. Yeah, that's a thing. This is something that we could go, that goes very deep with like what other things were going on and what they were trying. And like one of the people was out um, doing interviews and like um, writing to papers and writing statements, trying to bring support. Mm-hmm. Um so there, there was some issues of, of who's kind of in charge and who's deciding things and what yeah, are we doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then by late May, um, the government had cut off all electrical power and telephone services to the island. Um, mm-hmm. And they removed the water barge, which supplied fresh water to the island. Um, and then three days later, a fire broke out on the island and several buildings were destroyed. The government blamed the occupiers. The occupiers blamed the government sending in undercover people to do a setup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some of those hippies were FBI. Is, is that the idea? The accusation? Um, I mean, there are people coming and going all the time right, in a lot of right. ways, too. So, But their stance was this was staged. This was right. not our doing. You did this to create a poor public image. Because mm-hmm. um, initially the newspapers and the public image had sympathy for them. But then as things continued on, it started to switch. In early 1971, the largely supportive press switched sides. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about like the destruction and the drug culture. And it was all the negative. They're no angels. Yeah. Yeah. So the occupiers started to dwindle due to the issues of basic human needs and supplies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and on June 11th, 1971, uh, armed federal marshals, FBI, and special forces swarmed the island and removed the six men, five women, and four children that remained. 
Um, and then the following year, um, the Golden Gate National Recreation Area was there and the island became part of it and opened as a national park in 1973. And, and that is how it remains to this day. And that's how it remains to this day. I will say the National Parks, though, does have um, uh, – I have not been to Alcatraz, so I don't know what's on the island, but their their website does talk about this. Mm-hmm. It does talk about the, the events of Occupy Alcatraz. That's at least good. No, the, the Park Service, they're one of the good ones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that is uh, some history of Alcatraz Island. Mm-hmm. Darlene, what did you learn? I mean, there's this image of Alcatraz being just the worst of the worst, you know, this absolute hellish existence where all the the monsters of America went. And we got somebody who stole less than 20 bucks worth of postage. He did a bunch of other things. But yes, that's what sent him like the the last straw. But I mean, you you look at the the people that were there it's primarily people who'd already been abused and struck back at the prison system so they just put them in a different prison with uh in addition to the usual walls and fences a big old impassable stretch of water yes. the end yes. and then forget about them yeah the, the prisoner abuse the the underfunded crumbling infrastructure yeah uh, even with spending three times as much as your average prison on infrastructure, it still wasn't enough, apparently, clearly. The one good thing they had was the food. Uh-huh. Apparently the food was the <laughs> well, best. Well, San Francisco, it's such a foodie town, yeah. you know. Apparently the food, though, in Alcatraz was like some of the best prison food <laughs> in the country. But then also the uh, uh, reputation of it being th- this fortress, this inescapable right? That's, I think, monolith. the thing that's the most interesting. It's just the bay. That's all it had was yeah. the, the bay. Really, yeah. Like, everything else is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they modernized it for, like, the time, but you're really just counting on the fact that there's some really cold, <laughs> tough water to swim through and but- some rocks. <laughs> But something that uh, that uh, um, proclamation brought up that I didn't even think about until reading it is for those 20-some years, the first image of America that, that everyone coming <laughs> right? into San Francisco Bay saw was a prison. Right. Was this, this monument to criminal justice in America. Nice, pretty bridge. And also, this is the hole. We call it the hole because it's where we beat people. Well, technically, they see the Golden Gate Bridge first. <laughs> yeah. It, it is within the bridge. It is beyond. Yes. They see the bridge first, and then it's a straight shot to Alcatraz Island. Yes. Yeah, it's not, it's not you know, your Statue of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, hey, guys, I mean... here's Ellis Island. You might get to go home. That wasn't exactly the best either. On one side, you've got the, the Statue of Liberty, and on the other coast, there's the the people yearning to breathe free. Here, here they are. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yet another example that if you want to learn how to uh, run a protest, uh, Native Americans have been petitioning the U.S. government uh, and and developing tactics as long as there's been a United States government. Yes, and there was so much more to talk about about mm-hmm. that time 
in the San Francisco area um, with the Native American community. Mm-hmm. But I had to stop somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we only have so much time. Um, but I, I highly suggest uh, reading into it more. Yeah. Um, it, there was a lot of things happening. And these protests were not like we failed. It did bring a lot of attention to mm-hmm. things that were going on. And it also helped like reorganize um, and bring people together to yeah, fight absolutely. the fight. 400 people living on an island that is uninhabitable? That's incredible. So I guess with that, we're going to take a little break and be back with letters. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Except for people who operate or somehow benefit from for-profit prisons. Yeah, you're not welcome. You're not allowed to listen to our show. That's that's it. We reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. But I know who does listen to our show. Yeah. People who write us letters. What? And one of those people is Peter. Hi, Peter. Peter has a favorite mistake referring to a recent uh, mail prompt. Yeah. And that is the famed Sinner's Bible. This is a, a typeset Bible from 1631 from a printer's house called B&L, which was officially licensed to print the Word of God. Now, the problem with typesetting something as big as the Bible is that's all the more chances to make mistakes. And yeah. sometimes those mistakes include leaving out simple little words like not. <laughs> And sometimes uh, that little knot belongs in the seventh commandment, uh, changing thou shalt not commit adultery to thou shalt commit adultery. <laughs> so B&L lost their license, naturally, and most of the books were found and, and burned because you cannot have people reading that edition uh, and, and taking lessons from there. But uh, the ones that remained are highly valuable uh, highly giggle-inducing uh, uh, collector's editions for anybody who likes uh, early modern book uh, yeah. collections. And Peter also includes a show suggestion of something I've never heard of. So that sounds fun. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Tori writes in and has recently gotten most of the way caught up and answers a few prompts. Hooray, Tori. A uh, favorite mistake is the creation of the tea bag, uh, which was initially silk bags that samples were shipped in and were not intended to hold tea leave- leaves for steeping. Uh-huh. So the, yes. the original tea bag was just someone left the packaging on uh-huh. and got confused. Yeah, you, that's that's how tea bags came around. That's I actually amazing. read about that. Maybe like last month and I was like, oh, that's hilarious that's so cool um that's why they say like you know people are like loose leaf tea is so fancy no actually that's really how you're supposed to do it we just (laughs) all got dumb and started using the packaging or did you get smart because it's so convenient and good uh tori's favorite snack food is uh kettle brand korean barbecue chips nice uh and favorite playwright is good old william shakespeare we should start a club. That was definitely the most common. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd probably say the same, so I, I get to join the club. I mean, if we're going for, like, old-timey. <laughs> yeah. If we're going we for all, modern. We all, know, we all know your favorite playwright. 
We all know your favorite playwright is Tracy Letts, dear. Yeah, maybe. We all know. <laughs> maybe. And uh, favorite deadly disease, uh, which is hantavirus, which is carried and spread by rodents uh, and probably explains the epidemic of sweating sickness in medieval England uh, before the Battle of Bosworth Field. Maybe they were just really nervous about the upcoming battle. Did you ever think of that? Uh, Thank you, Tori. Thank you very much. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. And if you would like to give us one of our, our... one of these letters that, that warms my heart. Oh, those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear your, your stories, uh, respond to questions, your, your show suggestions. Thank you, Peter. Corrections are welcome, too. Uh, and also responses to our usual prompts. Darling, do you have a prompt for us? I, for the next episode, I would like to hear about people's favorite robot. Robot. Favorite robot. Oh. And again, those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. While you're out there, why not check us out on social media? We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Yes, we are at History Honeys. On all three platforms. You can also give us a rating and review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever else allows you to rate and review shows. Uh, you can also tell a friend. Tell those friends. We love to meet them. Eventually, they'll be all caught up like Tori. Yeah. Yeah. One quick announcement I forgot to say while we were recording. Uh, In between the last episode going out and this one, uh, another show put out an episode with me on it. That is a recent episode of Breaking Mayberry, a uh, uh, an Andy Griffith show recap podcast. I went on to help them talk about that time Barney Fife joined the choir, and it turns out he's not very good at singing, and they have to protect his feelings for some reason. We we get into it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so you can find that in the show notes. And now back to our previously recorded segment. It's it's been another year of history, honeys, dear. It has. Do do you think you've learned a lot? Have you grown? I suppose so. June is. I feel like we mention this every year, but it's a big month for us because it's it, the it's anniversary of this show uh-huh. and the dog's adoption. Yeah. And late in the month is our wedding anniversary. Yes. yes. Yay, June! Yay, June! It's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and thank uh, all of you for for joining us. For this this one portion of it. Thank you. Thank you for, all. For being great. It's been a good year. I think we've done a lot of really good episodes. What do you think, Mo? You think we, we've done good? I think that you just looked at the mic. Yeah, yeah. It was cute. I guess with that, this is Moki. I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your, your honey. honey.